Also, this elephant is our mascot. If you have not offered a name up for this elephant yet, please do so. Nothing worse than having a big elephant, no name for it. Uh, we've gotten some already. They're creative. People have been turning them in. They've been emailing them. You can as well. Also, next Sunday morning, it is Easter, and we have a brand new app that we will be unleashing for you on Easter. It will have a kids section on it. Um, the app you currently have, if you have the Church at 434 app, and I know you all do, um, it, will, uh, it will cease to be as good. It will, it will no longer be supported. Uh, and so over time, it will, will disappear. It'll be replaced. Brand new app. This one has a lot of bells and whistles. The other one does not. We unleash it next week. And so we want you to make sure that you get that. Um, speaking of uh, your phones and apps and things like that, how many of you have your cell phones with you this morning? Yeah. I pull them out right now. Do you want mine? Go ahead and get your cell phone out. Um, go to your contact list. Go to your contact list. Some, on your contact list, find somebody that is not here today, somebody you work with, somebody you know that needs to be invited to church next Sunday. By the way, it's Easter, so they'll come. You know, Christmas, Easter only, people come, and uh, they're CEOs. And it will be a great opportunity for them to get here. Uh, and here's what we want you to do. Take a look at the screen. Text them right now. Hey, I'm in church right now. And invite them to join you next Sunday right here. Type quick, quicker than the 9 o'clock crowd. It took them until 10 o'clock. And then send that message to somebody in that contact list. Never know what might happen. I, before worship this morning at 9, I sent to three people my contact list. I heard back from one. They'll be here next week. And so over the course of this week, uh, don't be afraid to use your text messaging as a way to invite. Um, somebody needs to be here. It's a great way to let them know you're thinking of them, and you're thinking of them right now in church. And so uh, today is a great day uh, to reach out to them. As we begin this morning, we're going to cover quickly. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. We're going to do it very, very fast. Um, as we continue talking about the elephants in the room, today we talk about the chaotic creation elephant. The chaotic creation elephant. And we go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Um, if you're visiting or you're joining us online, you haven't been with us, uh, we're talking about elephants in the room. And an elephant in the room is basically an obvious truth that everybody ignores. Someone sent me an email this week and said, thanks for the series. Most churches try to answer questions that no one is asking. <laughs> you're fearless, not afraid to tackle the difficult stuff. Now, that's a nice email. Some of the others hasn't been so nice, and that's okay. Um, but there are a few challenges with a message like this, because over the next few minutes, we're going to talk about how creation and evolution sometimes collide and the difficulty that is. And so we're going to explain creation to you, all of it, so you completely understand it in the next 21 and a half minutes. I'm sure we can cover the topic. Um, it's not that big, right? And, and so together we'll get there. Um, but it is a complex subject. And so if you have your Bibles, Genesis 1, first book of the Bible. Uh, chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible. Start in verse 1, first verse of the Bible. And uh, so if you find the table of contents, just keep going. You'll get to Genesis, and here we go. Follow along. Keep your apps open. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. 
And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I want to point out four things we need to see as we look for this elephant. And that is actually the first one, looking for the elephant. Looking for the elephant. Look at verse 1a. These three words, in the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, My beginning started uh, way back at the Colony Baptist Church in Winter Park, Florida. A lot of you know that. Uh, And I was a kid who grew up with creative teachers that used high-tech tools to teach me. As a matter of fact, we used one of the highest-tech tools ever created. It was called a flannel graph. And some of you remember this. They were fuzzy boards. They weren't Velcro. They were fuzzy boards. And you would stick pictures to them. And I remember vividly on the flannel graph seeing an explanation of God creating the heavens and the earth. Now, it was high-tech stuff, man. High-tech. It doesn't get any better than that. And so in my background, I was raised in an environment where that story was told to me from the time I was a child, and there was never a time that I can remember that I didn't believe that there was a creator. And it was God. That's my background. But I want you to understand something that sometimes we lose sight of here in church. That is not everybody's background. Everyone has not heard that story from the time that they were children. They do not have that advantage. And they do not walk away with the assumption that there was a creator and God is that creator. Because that is not their environment. That is not where they've come from. And you don't have to go very far when you walk outside these walls to find people who fall into that category. My beginning got me to the point where I began to understand, okay, there's a creator. Everyone is not like that. Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, said one time, there is simplicity on the near side of complexity and simplicity on the far side of complexity. Now, he also said he wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on the near side of complexity. But I think that sometimes we as followers have settled for the near side of complexity. In other words, we have this faith. It's a simple faith. It makes sense to us. We've never thought or wrestled through some of the deeper questions. We've never thought or wrestled through how do you respond to people when they might want to butt heads with you on this subject. We've never thought through how do we give an answer for this thing that we call faith. And as a result, sometimes we kind of bump into the culture and they don't believe what you believe. They don't believe uh, what creation really is. And so they have questions. Well, they have questions, and we sometimes don't have answers. We don't know how to respond. And I want you to know that in the book of Luke, Luke wrote wrote his gospel, and in his gospel he said this, I have thoroughly investigated everything from the beginning. We have to thoroughly investigate these things. And I want you to be confident as you deal with the world around us that so desperately wants to push God out of the marketplace that you do not have to be afraid of these questions. You do not have to be afraid of how to answer. You don't have to be afraid of not knowing what you need to know. You can know that. These are things that we need to ask, and they're good questions. That's the beginning. The second thing I want you to see is I want you to really see this elephant, this creation type of elephant. Verse 1b, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew verb there for created is a word that is associated only with God in the Bible. That word for created is a word that is only attributed to the working of God, meaning that he has created something, something remarkable, 
established out of nothing. It is something that only God can do. And you have to understand that he created out of nothingness, not out of chaos. The title today might be a little deceptive for you, and I don't want it to be. God did not create out of chaos. He created out of nothingness. It's not like there was something going on out there and God kind of rounded it all up and created something out of it. The chaos comes when we get involved. The chaos happens when we don't know how to give an answer. The chaos occurs when someone looks at you and says, I don't believe in that whole creation stuff. And you really believe in that? That's silly. And then you start stammering and stumbling over an answer. That's when it gets chaotic and weird. Because for us as followers, you do not have to be afraid of that. When I went to college, I knew what I believed. Uh, I had been brought up in that environment. And I will remember very distinctly sitting down in a science class where the professor began talking about how the earth came to be. Some of you have this very same experience I have. The professor was talking, and he says, we came from a single point of infinitely dense and infinitely hot matter, smaller than a grain of sand, that exploded billions of years ago, resulting in billions and billions of galaxies. We know that as the Big Bang Theory. Trust me, the TV show was better than the theory. He was teaching that our beginnings come from this place. And so I'm hearing all this, and I'm trying to think to myself, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't believe what I'm hearing. I, I think there's another story out there. I think there's a better story out there. And so as a college student, I remember sitting in class, and, and not being necessarily challenged, but sitting there with that thought, well, you know, I grew up in this environment. How do I, kind of, how do I, how do I get this to fit? I mean, how, do I, how does this fit in my head now, in my heart, uh, where I can move forward? By the way, in that class, I did my term paper on intelligent design. I decided this was a professor that I was going to evangelize, and I did my term paper on intelligent design. And I want you to know, I worked harder on that paper than any paper I ever worked on in my college and postgraduate degree, more than anything I did at seminary. I remember working on this paper harder than any paper I ever, ever worked on because I knew I was going to be presented to a guy who did not believe what I was getting ready to share in that paper. I was in the library. I used commentaries. Man, I worked hard, and I want you to know, I remember it. I got a B on that paper. Most amazing B I ever got, hardest B I ever earned. I loved it. And you know what? That professor hit his knees and accepted Jesus. No, he didn't. That would have been a great story, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. If the paper would have been that good, he wasn't, that paper wasn't that good. But he gave me a B. Uh, he appreciated my effort. He appreciated my argument. Uh, he told me I, I, ha- I had a, a very good way of expressing myself and that um, I was a, a pretty decent communicator. <sighs> but then in talking about that paper and defending that paper in the class, inevitably the question came. So, you really think God created everything? Yes. Well, where did God come from? And people play that like it's the ultimate trump card. Oh, you can't explain where God came from, so therefore your whole idea uh, must be trash. And it's that first cause question, right? I mean, it's like, where did things come from? We worry about those kind of things all the time. You know, it's that age-old question. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? I know all of you have an opinion. I did some research for you this week. I want you to know that. I decided I wanted to answer forever that question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? So I went on Amazon, and I ordered a chicken and an egg. And I'll get back with you when I see who gets here first. 
Because that will forever answer the question. Which is it going to be? I, um, I remember sitting in that class listening to, to how we came from these single cell amoebas that, 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 that somehow managed to be smart enough to drag themselves out of the primordial ooze and, and, and slug themselves up onto dry land and eventually start evolving into what we would know today as humans and, and how that came to be. And it, it dawned on me that I think a lot of times um, we don't even ask the question like, well, okay, if that happened, then where did that amoeba come from? I mean, where did the ooze come from? Who created the shore that it slugged its way up on? I mean, there's always a creation question in there somewhere. And here's what I want you to understand. I think oftentimes those people who believe in God are put on the defensive by those who don't believe in God who, because they don't feel like they have to defend their position with the same kind of intellectual integrity. And what I mean by that is if you believe in God, you can have as much intellectual integrity as someone who doesn't believe in God, and so don't give them a pass if they say God's not real. See, they put us on the rope sometimes and say, you know, how can you prove God is real? Have you ever looked back and said, well, how do you prove he's not real? Because you can do that. And for some reason, people who call themselves Christians are afraid to do that. We're afraid to push back. Because we think that somewhere in the Bible there's this hidden verse that says, thou shalt not offend in the name of Jesus. It's not there, by the way. You can push back. And you don't have to give them a pass. I decided years ago that you could offer an argument like that and I refuse to give you a pass. Someone who doesn't believe in God does not have the intellectual capacity to stand alone and not be challenged. And if believers, if believers would quit doing that, we would be better at pushing back against a culture that's trying to push God out of the marketplace. They do it because we're easy targets. We sit out there like pigeons on a line somewhere. And we're so afraid that we're going to say something that's wrong. Uh, that, that we're going to mess everything up. Here, trust me. When I tell you this, you are not going to give a wrong answer and all of eternity is going to spin out of control and crash. None of you have that, that kind of clout. I don't have that kind of clout. Nobody out there does. God is fine. He's going to be okay. But why we give people a pass when they offer these arguments like they've got the, like the, the, the huge best argument of all time and you can't get past this when I often just laugh and go, what? explain that to me. Why don't you think there's a God? And inevitably you hear the same thing because somebody's done them wrong because there's evil in the world and they're not happy about that and so they decided to blame God by not believing in God. Well, you can't blame somebody you don't believe in. So they're intellectually not honest to begin with. Call them on that. Don't give them a pass. Refuse to be a doormat. Because we live in a world that loves nothing better than for you to keep your mouth shut. I heard a story about a, uh, a class that was taking place at the University of Kentucky. And the professor was up there challenging the class, very similar to the class that I had been in uh, at Florida State. And he asked the class, has anyone in the class ever heard of God? They ever heard the voice of God and no one said a word. He said, has anyone in the class ever touched God? No one said a word. Has anybody seen God? Absolute silence. And so the pontificating professor then summarized, therefore I have just proven to you there is no God. Until one smart aleck student, on the last day he was ever in that class, raised his hand and he said, 
can I have permission to speak? And he turned to his classmates and said, has anyone in this class ever heard our professor's brain speak? No one said a word. Has anyone in this class ever touched our professor's brain? (laughs) Nobody said a word. Has anyone in this class ever seen our professor's brain? Obviously, no one said anything. And the student summarized as his final act in the class. So by the professor's logic, the professor has no brain. (laughs) See, we, we don't do a good job at stepping into the mix. Because here's what I know, and I've been doing this a long, long time. I do not possess the ability to prove to you the existence of God. And you do not possess the ability to prove to to prove to me that God does not exist. The existence of God cannot be proven or disproven by any of the tools that we have. It can be affirmed, can be explained, but it can't be proven. Because you're going to come to a moment, all of us come to a moment where you're going to decide by faith what you believe. And so now all of a sudden, this becomes a faith discussion. And you as a follower are very qualified to have that. There are two kinds of people in this world. Let me give you that, heard that, heard that number eight. Um, They'll pop up on the board. Um, There are two types of people in this world. Those who believe in God and those who believe in something else. But we all believe in something. Everybody you meet believes in something. We just have different objects of faith. And so remember that and don't be fearful of the conversation don't be fearful of what someone might say step into it and don't be afraid of dealing with the elephant in the room because you can give an explanation the third thing i want you to see is you have to understand the elephant look at verses two through four now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness I love the way that uh, that was framed by astronomer Sir Fred Hoyle speaking to the British Academy of Science. And he said this. Let's be scientifically honest. The probability of life arising to greater and greater complexity by chance through evolution is the same probability as having a tornado tear through a junkyard and from that a Boeing 747 jet was formed. Hoyle calculated that the chances of life being the result of random chance as 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Incredibly unlikely. You ever heard of the Jens Olsen's clock, the world clock in Copenhagen? Have ever read that, seen it? Look it up. Not now, later. It is the most complicated clock in the world. It took more than 40 years to build at a cost of more than $1 million. It has 10 faces, 15,000 parts. The clock... Computes the time of day, days of week, the months, the years, and movements of the planets for 2,500 years, and it's accurate to two-fifths of a second every 300 years. What's amazing about that clock is it actually has parts. Some of those 15,000 parts will not even move for another 25 centuries. That's how complex the clock is. Now, if you were to be in Copenhagen and you were to go to the city hall where this thing is on display and the tour guide was taking you around the clock and explaining the clock to you and all of a sudden the tour guide says, you know, this is an amazing creation, isn't it? And everyone goes, yes, it is. And someone says, well, tell me, how, how was the clock made? And they said this. 40 years ago, there was an explosion. 
a big bang in Copenhagen. And all of a sudden, 15,000 parts begin to work together in perfect synchronization. You would look at the tour guide and say, you have lost your mind, you're an idiot. But what the tour guide would be saying is that it just happened by random chance, not by intelligent design. But anybody with half a brain can look at that clock and go, well, no, an intelligent designer designed it. See, we move through life and enjoy the things that were created by intelligent design. Our lives depend upon the ebb and flow of us being able to trust the things that were made by intelligent design. You're going to go out and get in cars to leave here today, hopefully. Because we don't want you to stay. And when you get in your car and you drive away, that car didn't just happen because it was a sonic boom last night, and all of a sudden when you stepped out into your driveway this morning, behold, there was a car. That car is there. Because of an intelligent design that went into making that car. We understand intelligent design. And sometimes we as followers lose a little bit of our common sense when it comes to this whole creation issue. When someone who doesn't believe in creation or wants to argue for evolution begins to uh, c- kind of offer up what they have to offer up. And we act like we don't know what to do. And that's ridiculous. God also said, let there be light. And in that moment, amazing things begin to happen. Our sun is 93 million miles away from where we are right now. Astronomers estimate that if the earth was just 1% closer or further away, we would either burn or freeze because there is no margin for error in the placement of the earth near the sun. The atmosphere is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen with some carbon dioxide, argon, hydrogen, helium, and other gases mixed in. That is an incredible balance that we need to sustain life. If our atmosphere was just 25% oxygen, our entire planet would become like kindling and would light like that with just 4% more oxygen. According to meteorologists, the probability of a forest fire uh, taking place increases by 70% for every 1% increase in the percentage of oxygen in the atmosphere. So 1% of increase in oxygen and lightning strikes, the forest sets on fire. It is that delicate a balance. We're on a planet that's spinning on an axis at about 1,000 miles per hour so that every 24 hours we make one full rotation. If it was any slower or faster, one side would be a desert And one side would be a frozen tundra. If it spun faster, it would be like being on Jupiter. And winds would be swirling around us in excess of 1,000 miles an hour. And you thought you were having a bad hair day. At 1,000 miles an hour, you don't have a chance. We're in a galaxy called the Milky Way. It's spinning at 490,000 miles per hour. It'll take 200 million years for one full rotation of the Milky Way galaxy. And it seems to me that when you start thinking about the complexity of what I just described to you, you come up to a moment where you say, you know, this is synchronized to sustain human life. And because it's synchronized to sustain human life, then that can't have happened by accident. It has to be intelligent design. Let me give you a heard that number nine. Don't make the mistake of thinking that religion requires faith and science doesn't. 
See, if you want to buy into the theory that you evolved from a monkey or an ape, then you can do that. But then you're putting your faith in, and the research has been done that you believe and want to give more credibility to than the historicity of the Bible. But don't kid yourself. Science is a religion. You put your faith in that and choose that over what you know to be true, biblically, it's an act of faith. The last thing I want you to see is I want you to see the reality of the elephant because in verse 5 it says this, and God said, called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, we think some, for some reason in church that there's a tension between faith and science. And I want you to understand the trend in science right now is it's coming back to creation. The more evidence is found is coming back to creationism. The more they discover, the more we know, the more we understand, all of a sudden we start coming back to this idea of intelligent design, meaning that we were designed by a creator. That's the trend in science today. And for you living in a culture, you don't have to be afraid. Now, if you're sitting in a classroom and you've got to learn something for the grade, learn it for the grade. I learned so much stuff over the course of my school career for the grade, got my grade, and flat forgot what I learned. I can't even tell you how much I learned that I don't need or don't use anymore. I got my grades, and I just left. I went home. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I was able to push back at times, and I knew when to stop sometimes. But I wanted to make sure I got the degree that I needed to get. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. If that is true, and it is, and hear me, that means every type of ology out there points to theology. Matter of fact, that's a heard that. Every ology out there is a branch of theology. And that means that for our students, we ought to send our kids into the classroom as confident about what they believe about creation as anything else they believe. We ought to be able to give and address the things that happen in the world around us because it all does, when you take an honest look at it, point back to God. Think about it. Biology, archaeology, anthropology, climatology, paleontology. When it's done, it's all evidence of God's creation in the world that he has made. Someone out there is going to say, well, what about astronomy? Astrology. Horoscopes. Believe it or not, you know what that is? That's people searching for God and meaning in the stars. In a roundabout way, that's pointing back to it. doesn't make it Christian. Don't, don't get me wrong about that. But see, you can have someone say, well, I believe in a horoscope. Well, why do you believe in a horoscope? I believe in the stars. I look to the stars for my direction. Well, who do you think made those stars? Would you rather believe in the stars? Or believe in the one who made the stars? What a novel idea that would be. What would you say if I told you someone made those stars? And all of a sudden, you have a conversation going on now. Why? Because all ologies point back to theology. And we, for some reason, have decided that we're afraid of that. We're scared of that. Please don't be scared. In the room, God's creation gives us an amazing opportunity to build our lives on truth that will allow us to impact the world. Uh, the other day, I saw somebody and bumped into them, and they said, I still believe in Pluto on your shirt. 
I love that. A few years ago, Pluto was no longer a planet. They weren't talking about the Disney dog. But Pluto got bumped as a planet. I feel bad for Pluto. Pluto got a raw deal. I still am a fan of Pluto myself. And so I encouraged him. I said, way to go. You stay at it. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, religion that is afraid of science dishonors God and dies. Someone who was pretty smart, Albert Einstein, said, Science without religion is lame. And religion without science is blind. See, we don't have to be afraid of answering some of the questions that our culture wants to ask. So what do you do with this? Let me tell you. This is why it matters. Because what you do with the first three words in the Bible dictates everything else about your life. See, if you read those words in the beginning and you believe them and understand them, then that means that everything that comes behind in the beginning is going to be true. If you don't believe in the beginning God created, then guess what? You now have to start picking and choosing what you're going to believe as truth out of God's word. It doesn't work that way. The first three words starts a creative process. By the way, if you look at the Bible closely, it starts with creation, it ends with creation. The Bible is a book about creation. You also start with those three words and that will impact how you see truth. It will impact how you see the value of life. And it will impact how you find your identity. Because if you believe those first three words, in the beginning God created then you see yourself differently. And after Easter, next week we're going to talk about the Easter elephant. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit more um, in the week after Easter. But that's where we find our identity. Our prayer should be, God, help me to be a person who understands that my story begins and ends with creation. You have created me. That makes me something that I never could have been never planned to be, never hoped to be. And it changes everything about me. You do not have to be afraid of how the world would push back on you. You can rest assured that you have an argument that will stand the test of time. Let's pray. God, we look at your word And sometimes it's so easy to get bogged down or overwhelmed and think that we don't know enough, but we do. Because every word that we read reminds us of how great you are. How powerful you are. And how it really does make sense. Lord, there are some who, even over the course of this morning as we shared in the Lord's Supper, It's dawned on them that they've never made the decision to believe and trust and follow Jesus. They've never made the decision to accept that gift of salvation that you've given to us through your sacrifice. And I pray that this day would be that day for them. I pray that before they would leave this morning, they would give to us in our giving kiosk a note that says, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. They're watching online. They would email us and say, I want to make that decision. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And that would give us an opportunity to come alongside and encourage them and then hopefully give them some more information that will help them as they begin to grow and know what happens next. 
Lord, for many in this room, we are just moving through life and sometimes we get overwhelmed by the world that we live in and we think that we don't have rational, sane answers for the things that we hear. And yet when we lean back into truth, we discover as we lean back that we find a resting place where we do have answers, where we can respond and we can do so without being afraid. And so Lord, teach us this day to hold on to, cling to your greatness and fear nothing except you. And that's our prayer and our hope this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.